Welcome into another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, our final kick at the can for 2023, winter arrives. Will it be colder, milder, more snow, less snow? We get the goods from Environment Canada's chief meteorologist, David Phillips. The Barry Colts head into the Christmas break with 12 wins, 16 losses, and an overtime loss. Can they pull it together in the new year? There's a new sheriff in the Midland area. We had a chance to chat with him about his take on policing, and it's the most critical time of the year for blood donations. Also the hardest time of the year to get people to donate. It's easy though, no matter where you are, we find out how. The conversation starts after this. With the exception of the last week or so of August and the beginning of September, we had a warm summer and we've had a warm fall. And there's this El Nino thing which could keep winter on the mild side. We get all the ins and outs from Environment Canada's chief meteorologist, David Phillips. Going into the winter, we see a lot of residual heat, not only in the lakes and the rivers, but the land. We just can't keep any snow that comes. And of course, the temperatures have been uh, been up there. I mean, what we're seeing this, you know, in the past week, are temperatures that uh, are are anywhere from you know uh, five to ten degrees warmer than normal. I mean, if you see precipitation in the forecast, it's more likely to be rain than snow or or or, or um, flurries. I mean, uh, we're people are concerned about whether we get the right Christmas or not. So it's always something that, um, but, but you know, you're right. I think the yo-yo, the back and forth, up and down is, is how we have described the fall, I think, in going into the early winter. And, and, and I think that's kind of like nature feeling its, its way out. And a lot of people are saying, well, this is El Nino. Uh, either uh, curse it or bless it, whatever your feeling is. Well, and I think there's a lot of El Nino in here. I mean, it was a, much earlier than we normally have seen it. It's a much larger water feature in the coasts of South America. It's uh, a lot bigger. Water temperatures are very warm, so it's very much that. But you know what? It also is the fact that the Arctic is just not cold, cooled off yet. I mean, you know, winter can't come to Barrie until it comes to Tuktoyaktuk, and it's not winter up there yet. I've seen uh, from October, November, and December, I've seen uh, probably over 600 temperature records that have been broken in Canada from a warm temperature record. And how many cold records? None that I've counted. So it really is, stick a thermometer into Canada, it was a warm summer, it's been a warm fall, and, and that kind of gives you a clue as to what the um, you know, the winter might very well be, uh, with El Nino aside, I mean, any kind of cold weather that comes from the Arctic is just kind of um, pushed away uh, by by tropical breezes and also by, you know, Pacific winds. And um, now, there are some cold air. My gosh, I can tell you how cold it is in, in Siberia and uh, parts of Europe and China. It's bone-chilling, punishingly cold. So we know the cold air is around. It just hasn't come on this side of the North Pole. And, uh, and you know, it may, I mean, I, I would dare say we've been canceled winter. It's just uh, we've certainly postponed it so far. Well, and you and I have talked in the past, too. We can have a mild winter, but that sets us up for uh, a little bit more snow than usual from lake effect, right? Good point. A good point, Dan. You're right. I mean, those lakes are like, well, they're not hot tubs, but they are much, they're wide open. 
And uh, and certainly, if you're not a big fan of snow, you can always say, well, you know, February comes and the ice, it freezes over and it cuts off that source of moisture. But when you have this kind of a, of a going into winter, and then what we're saying is it looks like it is going to be milder than normal at the beginning, then the ice is going to take a while to freeze over. And that what it leaves you is, is more vulnerable to to lake effect. Uh, uh, um, uh, it's not going to be cut off. It could be lake effect snowing in in April, uh, where normally it would be long gone. There'd be nothing there in March, and you get snow still. But these are from storms in Texas and Oklahoma that come northward, or Alberta clippers, and they come through and dump some snow, but not lake effect. But we we still, and that's why we often get a lot of lake effect at this this time of the year. I mean we. We look at the snowfall so far, it might surprise you, we've had about 55 centimeters of snow. You look out there across the landscape in Barrie and and uh, Collingwood and, and Aurelia, I mean, you don't see a lot of snow because it's being assaulted by the warm temperatures and the rain and, and that. We're, but still, it's about about uh, less than normal. It's only about 75% of what you normally get. We typically would have had 75 centimeters of snow by, by this time. And it to- shows you that a lot of that is very much lake effect because of the fact that the lakes are warm and any kind of cool air that comes across is going to turn that lake effect snow engine on. So we still have that to come. It just is the fact that we haven't had much doesn't really mean that we're not going to get it. We're always going to be vulnerable to the lake effect in this, this area. And, um, and But the temperature-wise, um, boy, I mean, it's just hard to say where this cold air is going to come from. And, and if it does come, Dan, typically what we find in a winter like this and I go back to the last El Nino year we had, winter was uh, 2015-16. Uh, we had about 80% of our normal snowfall. We had six days that the temperature was below minus 20. We normally would get 12 of those. We had six months from uh, really from November right through to, to March or, or April that were warmer than normal. Overall, we saved money on our home heating bills, but hey, it wasn't necessarily great for recreation for the snowmobilers, the ice fishers who, who really depend on on winter. And that is, you know, I mean, there are some people who just think this is, I'd rather migrate or hibernate because of the winter, but some people really enjoy it and embrace it. And um, and it's good for the economy in our area. So, um, you know, I hope that winter comes, but I think that when we see it, it's not going to be long drawn out. It's going to be, you might get a, 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 some cold Arctic air, and then those Pacific breezes will blow across and push that Arctic air back up. So I think that's the kind of, what you see often in bed, weather is what you get. And I think what we've seen is the personality of winter, and um, and, and that's what we're, we're headed to. Now, our models are saying for December, January, and February, we think it will be milder than normal, um, uh, not canceled winter, but milder than normal. Snowfall, as I say, is always tough to get right in this area. Sometimes it could mean less snow out west, but sometimes it can mean more snow here because of the lake effect. So anyways, that is really what our models are, are suggesting. Uh, uh, not a tough, punishing kind of a winter, but some winter. And so I think people, if they love winter, they can't procrastinate. If the ice is safe and you can go out there on it, well then don't wait around for Thursday to come. Just go now like type of thing and uh, but we still have a long ways to go I mean there's no ice that I've seen and uh, it will certainly not be until to well into January that we begin to see some ice cover
Environment Canada's David Phillips, who, by the way, has pretty much nailed every season for the last two or three years. There's a demand for blood products year-round, but it seems to increase this time of year at a time when donations are down. People are busy, they're on the move, but there are opportunities to continue giving. Cheryl Russell, Community Development Manager for Canadian Blood Services in Barrie, is with Barrie 360's Will Conkin. All year round, it's good to donate blood, but um, seems like with the holidays, it's always a time of giving. So why is it important to do it right now? Well, it's typically more challenging to collect blood during the last two weeks of December, um, but that is when donations are especially needed. Um, with the timing of statutory holidays, regular, regular collections, uh, schedules are interrupted. Um, so it is important that every available appointment is filled on the days when donation centres are open. And uh, the donation specifically here in Barrie is 231 Bayview Drive. And uh, yeah, you just go to blood.ca and easy peasy sign up and book to donate this month. Awesome. Maybe kind of give me a rundown. So I sign up for an appointment, then kind of what happens? Where kind of what's the breakdown? Of yeah. So often when I'm out in the field and I'm at events, I often will have people say, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know how to start the process. It is so, so simple. Either by going to blood.ca or downloading the Give Blood app, you simply register. And nowadays, everything you have to register, create a password, it's our life, right? But once you're past that point, and once you are now a member of the Canada's Lifeline, it is the easiest thing, because all you simply do is hit a button called Book Now, and it'll ask, where do you want to book? Where do you want to donate? Oh, I live in Barrie. So you punch in Barrie, and there you go. It'll pop up with the date and times that are available. And right now here in Barrie, we have over 680 appointments that are needed to be filled between now and January 6th. And then uh, where does my blood or whoever's registering for, where does it go to? Who is it helping? Well, it makes all the difference to patients in need across Ontario, depending on what hospitals require. So each hospital has um, certain uh, blood types that they require on a regular basis. They have an inventory that they must keep up for the demand. And so, for instance, if I donated in the summer, which I did, my donation would uh, possibly go to RVH right here in Barrie. But if RVH had good inventory at that time, maybe my blood uh, donation went to somewhere in Toronto. So it's all about matching the demand of where the blood is needed, but it is needed constantly because as we say in our industry, uh, blood uh, a blood donation is like a bag of milk. It has a shelf life. So that's why we continually ask over and over and over again, because we need regular donors to donate regularly all the time. And you touched on it, but maybe uh, talk about it again. What are those specifics again? How many uh, spots need to be filled in and then the dated times? Yes, so for sure, uh, here in Barrie, between now and January 6th, we have 680 appointments that need to be filled at the Barrie Centre, the permanent Barrie Centre, uh, 231 Bayview Drive. But I stress that if you're leaving the area and you still want to make a difference and donate joy over the holiday season and make a difference to a patient in need, there are so many clinics and mobile throughout the area and three specifically uh in the local area to to be specific Bracebridge on December 24th needs some help Perry Sound on December 29th and Mount Forest on January 2nd um, here in Barrie the worst day uh, that we're struggling with is of course Tuesday December 26th so I ask everyone in Barrie go out do your shop and line up in those crazy lineups drink lots of water have a good lunch and then please come in and donate blood on December 
26th. I think a cool aspect about that is uh, creating um, options for people and those um, those those mobile clinics. They're great. Yeah, they're all over Ontario and even across Canada. If you're flying out to BC to visit family, there are clinics, there are mobiles. All you have to do is go to blood.ca, punch in where you want to donate, and it'll tell you all the clinics and mobiles that are close by. And then I think I saw that there was uh, the Give Blood app yes. as well. And that also helps with sort of registration. Yeah, I'm just touch on Ab- that a little bit. Absolutely. It is free for one. And yes, we all get tired of adding apps on our phone, but it is such an amazing app because at the end of the day, after you've donated, it'll tell you your blood type. It tells you when you're eligible to donate next. It tells you your hemoglobin levels, your bleed time, like lots of fun stats about you personally. Um, it's a great app. And just recently, I have engaged a lot of high school students and high schools to come on board and do donation days. And so they, because of their youth, uh, being the youth, uh, the Give Blood app is an amazing tool for, for the youth to find it very simple, book in, donate, and uh, be reminded on the app when to donate again. So it's great. Great, uh, great tool. And then uh, where can people find more information? Blood.ca is the best uh, best place to go for information. Specifically right now, we've had an amazing uh, a situation that has happened at Canadian Blood Services, which uh, many have uh, probably heard about, and that is specifically the mad cow uh, disease um, restrictions that was on donating uh, donations uh, for years. And as of last Monday, so many people are now able to donate. So don't count yourself out. Maybe you once thought you couldn't donate or one at some point you couldn't donate, but now those eligibility restrictions have changed. So please go to blood.ca, go to the ABCs of eligibility, do the eligibility quiz and be sure because maybe you can donate and we need to find you and you need to come donate if you can so we really appreciate your time today oh thank you so much for having me and and the opportunity to talk about this important uh, need for blood donations here in barry What Barry's talking about is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. We're going to take a break next week, but that'll give you a chance to catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You know, you can make it easy to keep caught up by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on What Barry's Talking About, a look at the Barry Colt season thus far and what may be coming in 2024, and we meet the new detachment commander for the OPP in Southern Georgian Bay. Now this. It's cool to care. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 donate Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. There's a new face to policing in the Midland area with the arrival of a new district commander for Southern Georgian Bay region, Inspector Todd Pittman. He chats up our Ian McLennan about how policing has changed since he first started and his plans for the region. 
For somebody who's not familiar, they, they've probably heard the word detachment commander. How would you describe the role that uh, you have in, in, in that position? Interesting part about detachment commanders uh, in the OPP, it's almost like we're our, like the chief of police up in office. So for example, we have just under 100 members here in Southern Georgian Bay Detachment. Uh, for a lot of municipal police services, those would be chiefs of police that would oversee that. And I'm not equating myself uh, to a chief, I'm an inspector. However, really it's it's how the detachment runs is I oversee all detachment operations, uh, including staffing and service to our community within the Southern Georgian Bay Detachment area. So I'm the person that's in charge of this area for policing services. Have you been a detachment commander previous at, at the other, other areas of the province with the OPP? No, this is the first one. I've held many other positions, but not as a detachment commander, and uh, I'm learning daily. And what is that learning curve like, and what, what are you learning, and who do you learn from? I think that um, some of the best learning that, uh, that I get comes from the members themselves, comes from the people that do the job daily. I think that uh, people that do jobs and do them daily know the jobs best. They also are aware of what uh, is needed in that job. They also, and, and in, in our case for police, they're also very aware of what the community needs are because they're engaging with the community daily. So I get a lot of my information from our members that are in community daily and interacting. And when it comes from a learning curve, it has been a steep learning curve. Much of my career has been specialized. And by specialized, I mean um, with our emergency response team, uh, with our canine unit. Uh, I was the manager in the emergency management unit for the OPP that oversee business continuity and things like that for uh, all of our offices right across the province. So I came from that background. So stepping into a detachment commander role where you're very engaged with community, very engaged with community needs, other partners is, uh, is, is something new to me. It's, uh, and, and I'm, to be honest, I'm surprised with how busy it is. It's a very busy job, uh, but it's one that I welcome and I'm happy to be doing. How much community engagement do you feel you have to do? I mean, you've got your frontline officers out walking the beat in the cruiser and interacting. What, um, how much uh, do you want to do in terms of being visible too, but you have a lot on your plate? Absolutely. I, I, uh, I have a lot of administrative duties. Um, in, in running this detachment. And, and with that too, I mean, with just under 100 employees here, um, I also have a lot of uh, duties with respect to our members, right? And with running the office and make sure, making sure that our members are, are healthy and that they're well. Um, I do like the ability to get out and engage in the community. I have been out, so through the summer I, I've been here, uh, I've done traffic enforcement, uh, albeit it's not one of my primary functions. At times, um, you know, people's driving behavior will draw your attention, so uh, I'm still a police officer, so I'll deal with that. Um, I'd like to get out, though, on foot patrol. I find that some of the best face-to-face -face time with our community members is in a non-enforcement capacity where I could get out, talk to them about what they're seeing the needs of the community are, what they think that the problems are, and really listen to them and hear their perspectives on it. It's uh, something I enjoy doing. I find that a lot of my community engagement is also with our uh, police services board. So 
we have five police services boards uh, right now within this detachment area. So I engage with them on a lot of the issues uh, in the communities and on some of the solutions and maybe approaches that we could take towards uh, community well-being. So uh, I, I, I engage in community interaction in many different ways, I guess I should say. Well, you have a wide swath of territory as well, some of it uh, with towns and others very rural, um, and then seasonal too. I'm just wondering, I mean, every detachment has their own uh, challenges, their own demographics. Um, What stands out for you about Southern Georgian Bay OPP, the the needs or or priorities that you want to add and what you're hearing from Frontline? So uh, we're unique here. We have uh, quite a bit of waterway in this detachment area. Um, We're one of the detachments that's very fortunate to have a full-time marine unit. And I think it's because all of our communities are uh, in some way touching the water. So that is one of the key priorities and key focuses is making sure that we keep up that sustainable uh, marine presence. There, We have a lot of uh, summer population, so seasonal population that come and they live on the islands in their seasonal cottages. Uh, so we see a large influx. So I think a focus there is extremely important. It's it's somewhat unique because not every detachment area has that. Um, when I see uh, community need, um, I, I think relatively uh, speaking, uh, traffic safety is probably one of the biggest things that I hear repeatedly here, um, ensuring that we have proactive, ongoing enforcement on our highways and it's really about keeping our roads safe. It's not about writing tickets. It's not about charging people. It's about getting people to slow down, getting people to put their phones down, and getting people to pay attention to what it is that they're doing out there. We lose more people right across this country annually to traffic fatalities than we do of any other cause of death. So I think that uh, active traffic safety enforcement is very important here. We do have speeding problems. And I think that the other uh, big focus and, and really has been something that I've spoke about several times this summer is engaging with our uh, population that are involved with addictions. Uh, we have a large uh, mental health, uh, I guess, uh, call for service here, if I could put it that way. I've heard that we have three to five times the mental health occurrences here locally than they do elsewhere in the province. And on top of that, we are seeing an increasing homeless population. So... While many of those things aren't necessarily a police focus by which, uh, you know, the police are going to walk in and solve um, an addictions issue or a mental health issue, I think that we do have a role to play and a function to play in society and working with our partners to see how we can meet these people that are homeless and on the streets, because that's not a crime. So how can we work with them to get to the root causes of the problems to help them get back into society and reintegrated. And that's something that I'm very interested in. Uh, I'm passionate about it. Albeit, like I said, it's not a uh, really a police role. I think that we do have a part to play and I'm happy to engage with a lot of our community providers to help uh, come up with some approaches to that. All right, Inspector, I thank you for your time. Thank you very much, sir. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Not been a great first half for the Barry Colts. More than a few struggles. Here again is Will Conkin with Colts writer and broadcaster Gene Pereira. 
Not the best way to end things before a break. Uh, two losses for the Colts, 5-2 against the Brantford Bulldogs, and fell 4-3 in overtime to the Kitchener Rangers. Um, same issues with penalties and uh, specialty teams in the Bulldog game, but at least it was an exciting one against the Rangers. Um, we're down in the third, but a good pep talk by uh, Captain Connor Punnett. Um, take us through those two, Gene. Yeah, the, the loss in Brantford was kind of the same old story for the very cold specialty teams issues with the difference uh, in that contest Friday night and the Colts returned home before their last game before the Christmas break against uh, the league's top team in Kitchener and the Rangers are missing a couple of players away at Worlds but the Colts as well with Shelley and Hillebrand off to uh, World Camps uh, and uh, you know it was kind of a, a, a game that had uh, you know two kind of different uh, looks for the very Colts I mean through 40 minutes, just 11 shots offensively. You really weren't generating a lot of offense. They were down 3 nothing entering the third period. And, you know, uh, in between uh, the, the second intermission, um, you know, the players, uh, Connor Punnett, stood up in the room, the Colts captain. And, you know, the talk was basically that this was the last period before the Christmas break. The fans had come out and they, you know, wanted to give them a strong finish and, uh, you know, for coming out and, show their appreciation though even though they're tired you know it's been kind of a long stretch to looking forward to getting back to their families and um, Barry got an early goal from Ty York and it just really built from there they just kind of took over and uh, uh, you know ended up tying the hockey game York with a couple of goals and uh, you know it was, it was a big point uh, unfortunately for the Colts uh, just uh, not even a minute into the uh, overtime Matthew Sopp an outstanding individual play where he kind of walked around to the fenceman and uh, uh, made a move on Ben West. Uh, really pretty goal, but, uh, you know, a, a tough ending to what had been an outstanding third period for Barry and their comeback. And, you know, credit to the young team for coming back uh, and earning a, a valuable point for a team that's uh, fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, we're just about 30 games into the season. Crucial time for the Colts, and uh, they have some big decisions to make on which direction they're headed. But let's look back a little bit. What's your take on this first chunk of the season, and, and maybe who are some of those players you've liked? Yeah, I think, you look, I mean, obviously there's disappointment. I think this is a very team that expected to, uh, you know, be right kind of in the middle of that pack. And you look at the Eastern Conference, it's really log jammed, and I think they expected to be right in that hunt. But, uh, you know, injuries have really played a big role. Losing Bo Akey uh, to uh, solar surgery uh, was a huge loss. Jacob Frasca has missed most of the first half with a hip issue. You know, the good thing, he's going to be back. But, uh, you know, the trade deadline around the corner. So, I mean, injuries have certainly uh, been a part. But, you know, two guys that kind of stand out to me, uh, you know, as great stories. Uh, one is in goal with Sam Hillebrand, the young goalie, uh, the rookie goaltender has played really well, just uh, outstanding. And, uh, you know, for a team that with Ben West being overager, Thornton, if he returns being overager, you look who's going to be the next guy. And Hillebrand has really shown that he can be the guy that carries the load. And he's earned a spot with the U.S. World Junior Team. And, um, you know, he's just been uh, outstanding, just a sound goaltender and uh, keeps you in hockey games. And you look on the other guy is Jack Browdy, the defenseman. Uh, you know, this guy that uh, I didn't know a lot about him coming in, but he's just been outstanding. I mean, just one of those guys that can play in all situations. A lot of confidence for a young defender. Uh, plays with a physical edge. Uh, and as well as just good moving the puck, rushing the puck. 
um, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to be a big part of that blue line in the future, and uh, the Colts are excited about. So, you know, two guys there, and obviously, you know, we we look here and we we come back from the Christmas break with that 28th uh, December 28th game against Sudbury. I mean, there's only a few days before the January 10th trade deadline, and that things are already starting to heat up. I know Marty Williamson has said he's fielded some calls, and there's no doubt that this is a Colts team that's going to be looking at the future of the deadline, and that means guys like Connor Punnett and Jacob Frasca, uh, you know, are going to be front and center uh, as far as, uh, you know, trade talks, and Anson Thornton, who is a good possibility, he returns. He's kind of had an injury-plagued first half up in the AHL with Tucson, uh, the Coyotes farm team, so there's a good chance that maybe he comes back. And if he does, then I expect that if there's interest there, Barry will look to the future. So, I mean, you know, it's a tough goal. It's a team that's looking to uh, still uh, make the playoffs, uh, get into the playoffs. Uh, but uh, I think they're going to be probably a lot younger once that January 10th trade, uh, trade deadline passes. Like you were saying, the Colts get a bit of a rest. They're back on December 28th when they host the Wolves. And I think that's all we have for now. And we'll talk to you again then. Till next time, Gene. Thanks, Will. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical expertise, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on X at Barry360, on our website, barry360.com. Some of you can still see us on Facebook, and there's our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. We're off next week. Hope you'll join us again in the new year.